Welcome to More of That Presents Discographology, the podcast where a Springfield, Missouri band dives deep into a band's catalog, one album at a time. I am Matt. I play guitar. I'm Josh on bass. I'm Logan on guitar. I'm Blake, and I play the drums. And we are More of That. I didn't prepare a speech, and I'm sorry, but I'm glad that I didn't because I'm not going to do this like everybody else does it. Because everybody that I should be thanking, I'm really sorry, but I have to use this time. See, Maya Angelou said that we as human beings at our best can only create opportunities, and I'm going to use this opportunity the way that I want to use it. So what I want to say is everybody out there that's watching, everybody that's watching this world, this world is both and you shouldn't model your life. Wait a second. You shouldn't model your life about what you think that we think is cool and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything. Go with yourself. Go with yourself. And I say, give me my back and then go there for all I care. Fiona Apple's teenage debut as the kind of Sony music Big Bucks backing an established superstar would envy. And a lot of people say that you're wise beyond your years. Do you agree with that? Queen of teen angst, Fiona Apple. Singing songs that reflect the maturity of experience with love and life you wouldn't expect from an 18-year-old. Fiona, you're a lot of things, but you're not a gen alt rocker. She writes very violent sentences, all right, and invokes very violent imagery. This is over 60 women on different stages across the country proving that women are doing it for themselves and they can sell just as many records as the boys. Welcome to the world of Fiona Apple, where personal struggle and heartfelt emotions form the landscape of her hauntingly beautiful songs. Songs whose subject matter is surprisingly mature for a first-time composer who's still in her teens. Fiona Apple McAfee Maggart was born on September 13, 1977, in New York City to singer Diane McAfee and actor Brandon Maggart. You may know him as the main guy in the movie Christmas Evil. Apple was bi-coastal. She grew up in Harlem with her mother and sister, but spent summers with her father in LA. She was classically trained on piano, but learned how to play pop and jazz by using a book that included the chords and basic melodies for a variety of songs. I think that like a lot of my musical influence and the way that I play piano is based on what I learned from a book called The Real Book. It's a book of jazz standards that I found in my mom's house one day, and I made this right. whole big hobby out of uh, teaching myself the songs inside. Like I would, I would teach myself a song that I'd never heard before, and then see in the corner it would say like such and such song as sung by Ella Fitzgerald or Billy Holiday or something, and then I'd go out and I'd buy the albums to see if I got the song right or if I totally screwed it up. Through this, she was introduced to artists like Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald, jazz vocalists that would come to influence Apple's own compositions. She would also find inspiration in hip-hop and from the poetry of Maya Angelou, whom Apple has called her idol. My mom gave me a compilation book of her poetry when I was younger, and I, I just admired her so much, and she is so honest and upfront and direct with the way that she feels about things. She was so open with her vulnerabilities and her weaknesses, and then she was such a proud, strong woman that I was very inspired by that. It gave me a lot of hope to think, well, I have these weaknesses too. Mm -hmm. I can be like that woman. I can be as proud and as strong and as wonderful as she is. At the age of eight, Apple wrote her first song. Songwriting and poetry became a way for her to cope with being bullied at school. 
My mom used to say that when there was anything wrong with me, that there would be three sounds, and there would be first the sound would be me stomping down the hall to my room, then the door slamming, and then just all this banging on the piano. And I don't know, there was always something that I was drawn to about the piano because because of its percussive nature. You know, I guess in the same way that some people like to get their aggression out by playing drums or something or hitting people, <laughs> um, I like to hit the piano. Later, Apple would tell her manager, music is not about a place you go, it's about a place you get out of. I'm underwater most of the time, and music is like a tube to the surface that I can breathe through. It's my air hole up to the world. If I didn't have the music, I'd be underwater, dead. After expressing suicidal thoughts, she was diagnosed by a therapist with depression and anxiety. People fixate on that, like that you're a tortured yeah. person. Well, yeah, but I think that I was, it's ironic kind of because it's like I'm, I'm kind of screwed up because I was in therapy, because people made me feel like I was crazy. Because, you know, you have to be willing to do that kind of stuff, you know? You have to be willing to go in and talk about everything about yourself and be able to work it out. And I just completely resented the whole situation and having to talk to these shrinks that were getting paid to listen to me. Mm -hmm. I just resented it, so it screwed me up because I was sitting there, you know, having people try to drag information out of me, and right. I wasn't willing to give it. Right. So no more... No, I have so a shrink now, and he's really cool. Along with the songwriting, she developed compulsive habits, like roller skating around the dining room table 88 times, once for each key on the piano, while listening to Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone. She says this made her feel safe when no one was home. Another time, she carved the word strong into the wall of the closet. At the age of 12, she was sexually assaulted by a stranger, a fact she was not shy about sharing in interviews. This is a tough situation for me because I don't want to trivialize it, but I also don't want to make it something bigger than it is. You know, I don't want it to be my identity. At this point, I'd like to emphasize that, especially at the beginning of her career, many in the media treated Fiona Apple, in my opinion, like trash. They condescended, obsessed over her body, her clothes, and her trauma, and generally sucked at interviewing. There's a Howard Stern interview out there that I found too repugnant to finish listening to, and I tend to have a strong stomach. I won't be playing clips from that, and I want to purposely take the focus of this series off of Apple's media image and other petty details like who she's dated. I want to instead do what we do best here on Discographology, get deep into the nitty gritty of the records Fiona Apple has created for us. At 17, Apple made a three song demo tape. She copied 78 cassettes that included future title single, Never Is A Promise, along with two still unreleased songs titled He Takes a Taxi and Not One of Those Times. Here, Apple recounts the story of how this demo tape led to her getting signed. And I had a friend, my friend Anna, like gave my tape to her, the woman that she babysat for who was in the industry. So this woman heard the tape, apparently liked it, and she had a Christmas party to which she invited Andrew Slater, who's my producer and manager, and he went to the party, heard the tape, and then called me, and so I still have, you know, 77 tapes. Slater was the manager for Lenny Kravitz, Don Henley, and newcomers The Wallflowers, and when he heard the tape, he was blown away. He said, I couldn't believe the demo was written and sung by a 17-year-old. It sounded like a 30-year-old singer who had written a lifetime's worth of material. I thought someone was playing a joke on me. At first, I thought it was a Milli Vanilli thing. 
some people kind of ask kind of like oh how can you write that kind of stuff if you're only 18 like as if they don't believe that i wrote it or they just don't believe that it's possible like i'm gonna stand up and be like you know well you're right i'm sorry i'm 27 and i didn't really write it and whatever <laughs> he quickly secured her a record contract with the work group a subsidiary of sony music and began production on her first album apple had not performed live nor with any other musicians when the recording for title began in 1995. Apple would play piano on every track on the album except for Criminal and Carry On and was joined by studio musicians including John Bryan of the P.T. Anderson slash Amy Mann slash Heim shared universe, more on him later in the series. Bryan played guitar, vibraphone, tack piano, harp, dulcitone, chamberlain, and more across the album. Session drummer Matt Chamberlain not to be confused with the Chamberlain organ, featured prominently on title, played drums across most of the album as well. He's played with Bowie, The Wallflowers, Tori Amos, and many more. Apple's music career had started seemingly overnight, and the entire ordeal was overwhelming at times for the young artist. She apparently felt that she was wasting the other musicians' time and in a 1997 Keyboard Magazine article said, Honestly, I'm not a very skilled pianist. I can play my own stuff, obviously better than anyone else can, but as far as other music goes, I'm really not very good. When we were making the album, I was saying, I don't want to play piano on this. I only wrote songs on the piano because it's the only instrument I know. I don't want this to be a fucking piano album. But Andy kept saying, no, this is how you sound, this is you. To make matters worse, she was in the midst of struggling with an eating disorder during the making of this album, and apparently production had to be stopped at one point so she could get help. As she later told Rolling Stone, of course I have an eating disorder. Every girl in fucking America has an eating disorder. One person that she found useful to talk to was Lenny Kravitz, who stopped by the studio and told her that the album sounded good. She would call him whenever she needed to talk to someone, and the two became friends. The final touches for the album were naming the album, as well as the artist. The label felt her given name was too long, so Sony suggested she go by one word, Apple. I'm sure Gwyneth Paltrow would approve, but I'm glad she didn't go that way. Her mother said she should go by Fiona Lone, as she was a loner. When the record contract just said Fiona Apple, she decided to go with this. As for the title of the album, I'll let her tell it. I never thought that there was much point in having a title to an album anyway, just because I never, there was not like a theme to my album. It was just kind of a bunch of songs that I threw together. So it was kind of like making fun of the fact that it was supposed to be title, and I was gonna call it title. And also then it turned into just being like about the fact that whole album is just kind of up and down and all the, you know, roller coaster of me and my sick emotional weirdness and all that. So it's title, you know, life is title. It's like the only adjective that you could use to describe anything, you know. Life is title, love is title. Title was released on July 23rd, 1996. The number one song that day was Tony Braxton's You're Making Me High. Truly, female pop vocalists ruled the day. Apple was only 18 when it came out. The reviews were mixed. Some praised it, while others called it Bad Joni Mitchell. The climate of the album's release was one of a supposed renaissance of women musicians. John Weir of Spin Magazine said at the time, women were the new Seattle. In 2010, 
Rolling Stone ranked the album at number 83 among the 100 greatest albums of the 1990s. The album is featured in the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. NPR ranked Tidal as the 125th greatest album made by a female artist, and as of July 2016, the album has sold 2.9 million copies in the United States. After Tidal's release, Fiona Apple told Spin Magazine that, I know I'm going to die young. I'm going to cut another album, and I'm going to do good things, help people, and then I'm going to die. Well, I for one am glad that she did not, that she went on to give us not just one more album, but four more and counting. So join me, will you? Let's dive in deep beneath the waves of Tidal. Welcome to Discographology, the podcast where I've been a bad, bad girl. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's definitely Ooh, better. It's definitely better than anything I came up with. Or yeah, Josh is uh, Josh is tickled. I'm tickled by that. You've been a bad, bad girl. It made like it made me laugh. So this is the first episode of our Fiona Apple series. I'm Blake, of course, your favorite drummer, and I'll be your guide. So. What is your relationship to this album title, if you have one? And did you listen in any interesting way? So I'll go first. I believe, I think the first time I ever heard Fiona Apple, I was hearing someone else, uh, a man, karaoke the song Shadow Boxer. <laughs> interesting one. Yeah. And I was like, that's wild. What is that? Um, <laughs> and of course, when I heard the real thing, it didn't quite sound like... Uh, what he did but i still liked it and then there's the whole by the way i was about i was 16 or 17 so i was when i first got into fiona apple i was about the same age she was when she was making the record um i don't know there's some poetry to that maybe maybe not uh in addition to that i was already getting into uh both the films of paul thomas anderson and the music of amy mann when you get into all that and John Bryan and all that shit, as I kind of mentioned, you're going to stumble across Fiona Apple at some point. And I was like, hey, this 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 is cool. I really like the sound of this. I like the um, the whole the Apple verse sound with uh, the, the kind of orchestral um, and we'll 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 get into how how that sound is created later. But it just really uh, resonated with me. I li so I'm lucky enough to have uh, both a vinyl and I dug out my CD from my youth that I still had. Listened to both. I, uh, last night I sat down with my Vinyl Me Please. Uh, they were the first to ever press title, I believe, on vinyl. Uh, my nice uh, 45 speed, 180 gram. Sounded sounded pretty nice. Yeah, I uh, I knew of Fiona Apple. So, okay, I guess what? This came out in 1997. Uh, so, oh, 96. So I'm mm -hmm. like 12 or 13. And the first thing that I ever heard or saw uh, was actually the criminal music video. Uh, so at the age of 13, uh, <laughs> seeing that, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it was, I liked the song. I was drawn to the song, but it, I was a little unsure of her in the video and what it was trying to convey it was it definitely was kind of the the type of video why i was banned from watching mtv in the first place 
you know, videos like this and Marilyn Manson's sweet dreams and stuff like that at the time (laughs) or whatever. It's like, this is why I wasn't allowed to watch this shit. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I was definitely interested. (laughs) Oh, were you? Well, and it reminded me, like, I'm like, so did this somehow influence the Deftones music video for... Mm change in the house of flies because it's got this similar i'll talk more about it later uh but uh yeah no that was the first time i'd ever heard or seen her and pretty much from then on out i think i might have seen the uh what was her speech from was it the video music awards yep Uh, i think i probably saw that like for someone who wasn't allowed to watch mtv i did i still watched a lot of mtv (laughs) (laughs) i found ways and usually in the middle of the night uh, so that's where when all <laughs> yep. the weird shit was getting played anyway. So uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I never really got past that. I might have seen like a live performance or so on, you know, television at some point. But other than that, like I'm a total, you know, newbie to uh, Fiona Apple. Sure. Yeah, I think I had a similar uh, awareness of of her culturally when this album was around. I also had the benefit that this was one my my older brother owned, who's who's eight years older than I am. So he bought this uh, on CD when it came out, and I remember hearing it around at that time. Although I never really listened to it that deeply, and then I got really into Fiona Apple later. I I bought Extraordinary Machine when it came out, and pretty much everyone after that I bought when they came out, and have listened to those front to back but these first couple we're gonna do title included i really have never before this listen sat down and listened to them all the way through i just knew songs here or there um so off of this one i I would say Mm. there's probably about half of it that i knew um and then half i did not so yeah that's sort of where i'm coming to it uh from Similarly aware, um, I, I dated someone about 10 years ago who was uh, into it and kind of got me past just the the single awareness, but uh, but certainly hadn't sat down and done a full uh, back to front uh, listen on this, but uh, grew up knowing the criminal video and in, and in, uh, liking that song and, and liking some of the stuff uh, uh, that came out when we were... Um, we were in high school. I remember O Sailor being uh, being a big hit of hers that we'll we'll be talking about uh, soon enough. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I uh, had uh, given my wife a pair of uh, AirPod Pros, the noise canceling, so uh, she she didn't didn't end up liking them. So I've been listening uh, on those and uh, oh. in really enjoying the bass. It, it's a uh, it's a very sonically dense record and. Um, really appreciated kind of hearing all that detail for sure all right so without further ado the album opens with track one sleep to dream i tell you how i feel but you don't care i say tell me the truth but you don't dare you say love is a hell you cannot bear and i say give me my back and then go there for all i care i got my feet on the ground and i don't go so the lyrics for sleep to dream were apparently written when she was just 14 so john bryan plays a lot of things uh, across this album on this he plays guitar vibraphone and tack piano and since 
This thing called Tack Piano is on almost every track. Should I go ahead and describe what the Tack Piano is for the uninitiated? Yeah. Let's talk tax. Well, un- let's 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 talk brass tax. Talking um, tax. <laughs> yeah, I'm dropping the theme song for Tack Pianos in here, and it's my understanding that a Tack Piano is a modified piano, uh, where so on a normal piano, a like semi soft hammer hits a a taut string. Um, and on a tack piano, some sort of metal is put in between the two and it creates a harder surface to hit, gives a more blunted, almost like a saloon or honky tonk sound to the piano. Uh, can anyone verify this? Am I off or does that sound right? No, no, you're right on it. Instead of a, uh, kind of a felt striker, it's, um, probably just like a, a thumbtack uh, that's pressed into mm. that felt, so it's uh, the hammer's striking with, with yeah. that that metal. Uh, so you get that metal to metal contact rather than than felt to metal. So you can imagine how yeah. how that that might change the timber of the the piano. Yeah, and I think a lot of this album is a combination of Fiona Apple playing piano and and John Bryan going over some parts with with the tack for just to layer textures. Um, and of course the. Uh, ever-present vibraphone uh matt chamberlain is on on the drums um josh wanted me to mention that he was uh at one time in pearl jam as and is in the video for alive yeah sleep to dream was the third single from this record and it has a music video which features uh apple singing the song in a room by herself uh she seems to teleport or morph around the room <laughs> to me it's really showing off some very 1997 digital morphing effects. Uh, I it seems very low budget. I think they use the same house as Criminal. Um, it's by a French director, Stephanie Sednawi, maybe. And uh, I believe this was the song that won uh, the VMA's unusually named best new artist in a video (laughs) and that this led whatever that means. And then this, I believe this, that, that, that award led to the infamous speech. So I really like how it opens the album with that drum beat. It's a cool break beat. This album has several parts that kind of sound like a break beat, but it's not a break beat. As far as I know, it's, it's created, by Matt Chamberlain and, and some other people. She she mentions swallowing the seas, and there's kind of a runner of sea or maritime metaphor going throughout the album called Tidal. Maybe that's not all that surprising, but I found it interesting on my most recent listen. And, you know, you just kind of realize that she really can sing her ass off. I, I like when she does the, the way, I can't do it, of course, but, the the word way at the end of a phrase like way that's gonna sound like dog shit but <laughs> the way she does it it's just like man she she really can she really can sing and she's so young um i like that there's a little extra bar added to the end of the phrase uh right before chorus where she goes and don't forget the blame mm. like that little part i think it's a song about being grounded uh Maybe you guys have a deeper insight into it, but that's the the gist of what I got. So, yeah, uh, no, I, I dig this one quite a bit. I, it's got a strange vibe to it. Uh, it's almost, it, it gives me a Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds kind of vibe. Mm. Just like kind of her tone and just the kind of the strange uh, instrument arrangement. And it, it's just a... Uh, 
it's got that Nick Cave kind of vibe, which I, I, I appreciate. Uh, it's very strong, assertive, and it's somewhat mysterious. Uh, the chorus is good. Uh, I really love the line, I got my own hell to raise. Uh, yeah. Nice instrumentation, and I, I, th- I think it's a nice opener. So, yeah, I dig it. Yeah, it's. I mean, the way those drums just start the whole thing is so awesome. And I, I don't know if how exactly they recorded those. If they like overlaid a timpani or something, like it just is so booming. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It, there's yeah. that hit on the bass drum. It, it sounds like it's it's mixed or mic'd differently. Um, I think Matt already mentioned the bass, so I'll let him talk about. We're gonna talk about the bass on this, Matt, because it's it's a nice. It's very subtle. It's it's hard to hear. Uh, it's not like right up front the the baseline but it is it is there and it's it's a, it adds a nice little subtle texture to it the thing i i noticed about this one is man the strings it, it is hard to talk about the song without talking about those strings the strings add so much to this song um it's it's hard to really explain it, it's something you just kind of have to hear but like a lot of it is you know the drums and her singing and these strings that kind of come in and out and they just are so good at like building the tension. And I, I don't know, there's just a certain aspect to them that I feel like really make the song. Um, they're, they're almost kind of like the same strings you would find on a Radiohead or a Bjork song. In, in Can the I way clarify something about the strings? Yeah, is it Mellotron? It, uh, Chamberlain, the, the Mellotron, uh, okay. Mellotron's big brother. So as far as I can tell, yeah, it's it's string recordings of strings being triggered okay. by the Chamberlain. Well, that might we'll be where I get that. the Bjork Radiohead kind yeah, of sound. Yeah, because it, all these artists are using uh, Chamberlains or Mellotrons. Okay, but man, it just it adds a lot to the song, and I really yes. like this one. I enjoyed it. It's it's a great opener. It's it's a great one to put on for somebody, even if they don't necessarily like other Fiona Apple. It, it just doesn't sound like other stuff she has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree that this track is is guns blazing uh, right out of the gate. Uh, Blake, you you mentioned the the extra four on don't and don't forget the blame. Uh, yeah, you, you're totally right. That that's such a that's such a uh, a next level detail that that really sets great songwriting apart from just pretty good songwriting because they they only yes. do it the once. Mm-hmm. But but it it you know it just flows so well in into that next chorus. Um, I, I think. I think it might be a concert bass drum that they're using that that uh, that, that really gets sense, that yeah. that that low end rumble because yeah. it's not even like you know a timpani kind of has has like more of a bell you know it, there there's some tonal quality to a to a timpani but uh, but that concert bass drum is just nothing but low end and uh, uh, it, it really hits you hard on this um, the strings are are fantastic um, it it's more of an it moves seamlessly between melodic and more just kind of atmospheric. And I love kind of the, I don't know if it's actual glissandos on the keyboard or if they're doing, you know, pitch shifting of the, the, the Chamberlain uh, sound, but, uh, but that sounds great. Probably my favorite part of the whole song though, is when that, uh, that last, uh, little extra piano line comes in at the outro yeah. uh, to, to kind of play it out. Cause it's, it's such a great line. I, I would love to know, uh, you know, if, if, if she wrote it or if John, John Bryan wrote it. Uh, and then of course her, her voice, um, uh, I have here in my notes, uh, she's got power and grit in her voice and she will suffer no fools. And, uh, <laughs> just the, the, the attitude is there. Um, 
it's I don't know if she would be a, an alto or a contralto, contralto, but uh, that that deep, powerful voice out of you know just a kid is is really something else. So yeah. Um, I, this song is so good. I, I'm almost a little bit disappointed to see it as the first song. I feel like it's kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a set piece, you know, mid, heart of the album, uh, big one. But but it also works a, as as an opener because it, it is uh, it is power right out of the gate. Yeah, it's an attention grabber. I I, I wanted to say one note on the the drums. I, I couldn't verify anything, but I get the feel on the drums on this album sound less to me like a traditional drum kit and almost like they're putting together different pieces of concert drums, you know, like a, uh, like the, the bass and the snare and other elements added together. Well, and there's, I don't know if anyone else got that feeling. There's, there's, I don't remember there even being a lot of snare. They create such attention just with, um, the, the, the rim click on the four. Yes. Uh, the, that rim. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just makes the whole line it is just, you know, you don't even need a snare. You, you can, you can make it so powerful and so captivating with just a rim click. For sure. Okay. On to track two, Sullen Girl. So there's a lot uh, said out there uh, you can look up, um, take too long to read, about the connection between this song and Apple's own personal trauma. Um, this from Wikipedia, though, in a, in a 2000 interview, Apple said that despite the speculation from journalists, the song is not written about her own trauma. She said it doesn't get into the writing. It's a boring pain. It's such a fucking old pain that you know, there's nothing poetic about it. I kind of, I kind of like that, that quote. Um, notably she plays the optigan or optical organ on this track. So that instrument, uh, is like a Mellotron or Chamberlain, but rather than using magnetic tape to trigger sounds, it uses, uses an optical soundtrack disc. <laughs> so hmm. the, I looked up a video of this thing and this is really interesting. And now I want one. Um, and it's actually, it was made circa 1970 by an offshoot of the Mattel toy company. <laughs> oh. And it's almost like a toy, but it's really powerful. You can put different discs for different sounds. And so like this disc will have orchestra on it and this will have circus sounds. So I think some of the really underlying orchestral things you hear in this song are actually just Fiona Apple playing the Optigan uh, it's a really wild thing, like optical soundtrack, like you get on celluloid for, for a movie before they did digital. Um, there's pedal steel on this by the extremely prolific, uh, Greg lies. I don't know how you say his last name, but he's played with everyone. Beck, Cheryl Crow, Wilco, Josh, mm. uh, he played on Daft Punk's random access, me uh, memories on a lot of tracks, which had some of the coolest pedal steel, uh, sounds I've ever heard. And he played on uh, Discographology alum Himes on the song uh, Running If You Call My Name. Uh, hmm. Greg played the pedal steel. I think his pedal steel on this album sounds awesome. This one takes the mood down for sure. Thankfully, it picks up a bit on the chorus. Um, and I do love the vibraphone 
sound that uh john bryan provides across the whole album it it it's a signature sound that that really adds a lot to the album that that vibraphone it's all over it there's of course language of waves and and blueness of and the sea uh going under the sea under the waves um the whole pedal steel thing at the end is is one of my favorite parts i think um but yeah what'd you guys think i i have to say this is you're right about it bringing down the mood <laughs> like yeah, i mean yeah. sleep to dream is such a like interesting sounding song and then this sort of is a weird second track to me it kind of gets this prime placement because it's between two of the big singles um yep. and then three if you include criminal as well um and so i, I imagine if you're going to put this album on you're going to play this one just because you're listening to the first four if you've only heard the singles you know um and it just it seems like such a, a dip down in terms of energy and you said the thing about the interview, you know, where she said she doesn't write about her pain. It's kind of contradictory because I've also seen an interview where she specifically said this song is about yeah. her assault. So, yeah. like, it's kind of this con- – so I, I understand, like, you know, I don't want to beat on it too much. But this is one I definitely – I don't think I'll return to. <laughs> like, it just – it doesn't do it for me. It's very middle-of-the-road jazz sort of feel, and, and it just – I don't know, coming off of Sleep to Dream and then the next song, which I think kind of picks it a little bit back up, it just, it doesn't, it's not one I'll probably return to often. I, I do like the piano lick kind of in the beginning, if you call it a lick. I don't know what you would call that on a piano. It's it's not a riff, but like the little motif, I guess, she plays on the piano at the very beginning is kind mm-hmm. of is kind of uh, cool. But other than that, it just, I don't know, this one just, it, it isn't doing it for me. But that may not matter. I mean, because it is important, an important song for her, for the album. So, um, you know, sure, it, it, it deserves to be there. It's just uh, if I'm going to be picking and choosing, this would not be one I would necessarily right. pick out. Like, hey, listen to this song. I I think I'm more or less right there with you, Josh. It, it, it definitely um, takes a, a little bit of of wind uh, out out of the record um, or out of the the flow of the record. Uh, Blake, you mentioned the vibes. Uh, vibes are, are way up front. Um, this is the first we we really hear of them. Or I'm, there there were probably vibes on Sleep to Dream, but but they're they're featured here and they're featured throughout um, the the rest of the record. Uh, I, I'm kind of I'm about half and half on on this this record. There, there's half the record are kind of songs like this that are are pretty good and more or less interchangeable um, for for me. And then there and then there's the other half, which you know is some some of the singles, probably most of the singles that that really kind of stick with me more. I think this is one of the better ones of that that first group. Uh, obviously the you know the the title um you know maritime uh themes and motifs that that we've mentioned and and this is one of the ones where i i noticed her um she has a very interesting lyrical style you know there's a lot of you know kind of free verse and and you know weird rhyme schemes or no rhyme schemes um and and repetition which which i think it really you know fits with with the feel of of the record overall and 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 i noticed it particularly here well i actually really really enjoyed this one um i think the big standout here are the lyrics um 
Yes, I agree I, with I that. I think that the lyrics are what's very solid about this one. I instantly felt connected with them, and I could really empathize. Like, there is too much going on, and I much prefer the calm <laughs> under the waves. Like, yeah. that's something I just immediately, like, it made me think, like, well, this song could be about anxiety and just, like, trying to escape to a quiet place that's comfortable and... I think that the piano really complements the words nicely. Like, I don't think that the music is like just blowing me away or anything like that, but I think that it really complements those strong lyrics. And I think it's a well-crafted piece um, that showcases her depth and introspection. Um, you said it's pedal steel guitar. Um, yes. It's, that's a nice touch. I, I love that. But I also like that synthy dreaminess that's bubbling under especially towards the end of the song. Um, I, it gives it this more ethereal, uh, just dreamy kind of vibe to it. And um, I, yeah, it does kind of uh, bring the energy down. I don't think that uh, I'm necessarily uh, debating that, but I don't think that the quality dips just because it's a uh, more of a down-tempo song. I think the quality's still there. It's just maybe not one you're ready to hear quite yet, but I don't know. I, li I like it on the A side. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I think there's a lot of beauty in that song. It, it uh, did not bang hard enough to be a single. Once again, we have an album here with more tracks that are singles than are not singles. So <laughs> out of six singles, the next track is the very first single from the album called Shadow Boxer. I had to get that in there and I'll talk about yes. what that is in a second. Um, Shadow Boxer first single, of course, got uh, John Bryan again playing vibraphone and tag piano. This one's got a video. It's just simple black and white uh, video of her uh, performing in the studio. Josh, you say Andy Slater might be somewhere in that video. I didn't see him, but I wouldn't know what There's he looks like. There's like a random part where it cuts to the like the mixing board and there's a guy sitting there talking to her. So I'm like, is that okay. Andy Slater? It doesn't yeah. look like John Bryan. So, and Dr. Dre was next to him. So. <laughs> uh, directed by someone named Jim Gable. Don't know. him. Um, so yeah, is that pedal steel that we hear after the first course? I fucking love that lick. It makes the song for me. I don't see a credit for pedal steel in the liner notes or anywhere. I have, Josh, a, I have, have a theory. I have a theory on that. Okay, I'll, I'll, wait theories, till, theories. I'll, I'll wait till, till okay. it gets to me. But I wait I, your I turn, and then I want to hear theories. Yeah. Is on pedal steel gate. What is that beautiful sound? <laughs> All right. Um, as I said, it's the first Apple song I ever heard, and it probably was for many folks because it was her first single that she ever dropped. I love her very deep vocal register on the verses. She's dropping down to, you creep up like the clouds, like. That, that shit blows me away. Um, it sounds like it's a it's about a lover who's just unpredictable. Someone running her hot and cold. Someone playing games with her. And uh, don't we all know what that's like? It's got a great chorus. 
great uh, Chamberlain, and I I I got to point out that the Chamberlain organ is is the like the other the other star of the show here is the Chamberlain organ itself, which is really creating like a whole orchestra within the songs here. Um, they didn't they didn't hire a, a you know a horn section and a string se- section. They just had John Bryan play the Chamberlain a bunch. Great lyrics throughout the whole album, obviously, and in this song, it what really resonated it is uh, once my flame and twice my burn did is that a, an old saying or something or did she come up with that i don't know i know there's some stuff she kind of cribbed like the my own hell the rays got me on hell the rays was apparently like a betty levette rec, uh, song or something like that well i mean people have been you know used to talking about raising hell forever but like i want to know once my flame and twice my burn i think is genius if she did come up with that that's that's fucking amazing i I really like it um all all of the strengths are here we're going to talk more about the slide guitar the the vibe that i got was uh it it was somewhat harrison-esque even for me um Mm. and uh several of the tracks oh go ahead what is that harrison like george harrison like george harrison like his slide guitar parts and and specifically and and uh i was going to mention this you know as we wrap up but uh i'll I'll mention it here too i i get uh i get a a um cloud nine era george harrison vibe you know some like i feel like jeff lind is kind of you know looking down (laughs) smiling uh wait jeff lind's still alive (laughs) didn't he die no, I'm pretty sure Jeff Lynn's still alive. I, I, I thought the man had passed. I, I, I beg your pardon. Uh, yeah, he's still alive. But um, I, I think that uh, that that kind of very lush uh, production, you know, was uh, might have been influential here, or at least I, I hear you know echoes of it uh, in this. Um, th- this lots of these tracks are are six eight. You know that that swing really works. Yes. And we we talked about the you know, the, the low, low vocal register, but she, she really just airs out the pipes uh, on this. You know, she's, she's really cleaning them out really, um, powerful in, in, in her vocals. There was some orchestra swells that were only on the left channel, uh, Hmm. you know, which, which really kind of, you know, give you a, a feeling of, of space, uh, you know, with, with the, the recording and, you know, obviously it's a, it's a big single. Uh, I, I sometimes get this one confused with O Sailor. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of made of similar parts, but but I, I think this is the uh, the stronger track. Yeah, it's another solid track. Um, it almost has a sultry kind of lounge vibe to it. I get almost a noir aesthetic. Uh, I could see Fiona singing this tucked away in a lounge dive somewhere near Vegas. Um, is there a difference? Is six, eight and three, four, are they, that's the same to mathematically? Yes. Here three, four is generally associated with waltz. And I think this sort of song is too fast to be a waltz. So I would call it six, eight, but there are different thoughts on that. I don't know. Matt might know more. Cause I would, the information I had is that it was in three, four, but I'm not really, uh, you can, you can, you can count it that way. If you I like. figured I mean, six, eight and three, four were kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's it's all based in fractions. <laughs> Thank you. But no, that's um, a, that's that's about all I had on it. And I think it's a it's a st- strong track, but I don't really have too much more to say on it. Th- this is sure. one I have really liked for a long time. Um it's it's sort of 
it doesn't really combine necessarily the the more trip hoppy aspects of like sleep to dream with the sort of jazziness of soul and girl, but it does kind of feel somewhere in between slightly. Um, I think part of the appeal of this song for me is the John Bryanness of it. Like if you've listened to any Amy Mann um, yep. or other John Bryan produced stuff, this is his fingerprints all over it. So my theory on the slide guitar part, you're right. There's no one listed right. in the liner notes as playing slide guitar on this, but clearly there is. But here's the thing, <laughs> John Bryan about this same time played the slide guitar part on one headlight by the wallflowers. Oh, and did he, he? That was he, him? Yes, yes, and he apparently played it spontaneously. He grabbed a, a screwdriver off an amp and played oh that part. God. So that combined with the fact that it just sounds like him makes me think it has to be him playing slide yeah. guitar. Yeah. Um, it just, I mean, it sounds like him, and the fact that he was doing that kind of thing around this time, I, I just, I have a hard time believing that's not him. Um, I assume he was just friends with Andrew Slater. Yeah, I figured the Wallflowers wall connection, session musician kind of thing, for sure. Um, but yeah, I really like this one. Um, it's 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 good. The difference between the verse and the chorus, it, it, you're talking about how it's kind of between. Yeah. The, the verse is the jazz and the chorus is the, the more kind of pop um or well and it's pop. like the the, ver the verses like are all minor chords right i feel like and then yeah I'm, it feels like there's kinda. this or the key is minor or whatever um and then there's like this major chord or something that gets hit right before the chorus you know what i'm talking about like the build up to it and it kind of builds into this chorus which seems kind of brighter almost yeah, yeah um yeah i enjoy this one um uh yeah it's what it's one of my my top tier songs of this for sure and i think that that's a good point to to point out uh liner notes are our contract negotiations and mm. credits are contract negotiations more than they are a representation of the reality of what happened on the day of recording i think that's always a good thing to keep in mind when thinking about records anyway dun, dun, um, dun, dun. <laughs> On to track four, Criminal. Criminal, uh, her biggest single ever in her career, um, even though this was the fifth single of the album, I'm wondering, like, why was this not the lead single? <laughs> Were they, like, saving it? <laughs> Build it up, I'm not, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure. I guess, building anticipation, uh, but I think it bangs. It won her first Grammy uh, for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance. That's a mouthful. I'm like, is this rock? I guess. I guess it, it's in the rock world. Um this is uh, one of the two that doesn't have Apple on piano. It's uh, Patrick Warren. He's also part of the Apple verse. I considered, you know, the P.T. Anderson verse, the whatever verse, the but I decided the Bryonosphere, the Largo, the, Bryon the Largo. Uh, yeah, the the L.A. <laughs> you know, every these L.A. people, these Hollywood Paul F. Folks, Tompkins, right? Paul F. Tompkins is probably on this album somewhere. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so that guy, he, he worked on the Magnolia and Boogie Night scores, mm. Patrick Warren. Um, 
she said the song's about feeling bad for getting something so easily by using your sexuality. There's a lot of lore behind the writing of this hit single. And as we often hear, um, you know that old chestnut, I wrote it in 15 minutes. It was a throwaway song, et cetera, et cetera. We hear it from many artists. There are a few stories. What I read was that uh, it was written toward one of the last songs to be written. Sony pressured her to make a more singly single, you know, something that banged more for the radio. So she knocked this out in 45 minutes. That's the lore behind it. I believe that she could have done it, you know, uh, the, the broad strokes of it. Of course, it's got the infamous music video that uh, Logan got horny to uh, illicitly. <laughs> uh, I never said that. I never okay. said that explicitly. It was directed by Mark Romanek, who a couple of years prior directed what I think is one of the best music videos of all time, Closer. So there's, I think the the listener should probably just read up on the, in quotes, controversy of this whole thing and body image and all that bullshit. Uh, so much ink has been spilled. It's disgusting on this topic. We don't have time for it. Um, I think John Weir and in, in Spin Magazine in 1997 said something that I found poignant. He said, in addition to the real advances female performers are continuing to make in the music business, there remains the possibility that it would be easy to exploit the hell out of a girl and still claim that it's all about her power. I, I'll, I'll leave it up to the listener just decided who's exploiting who. Um, of course, you know, she was, she was young at the time. It was, it was controversial, etc. To me, it looks snuff filmy a little bit. And I had just watched Henry portrait of a serial killer right before watching this. So <laughs> wow, I was in a what weird a, frame of what mind. a lead in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the uh, wood paneled walls, uh, yeah. what's with the magic soap at the end? Did anyone mm-hmm. notice that? No. She she squeezes a soap dispenser. So it's the song is doing the there's a place in France. Oh yeah. I was gonna sing that part, but I guess not. I'll let no I'll let I'll let you do it if you want. You can sing the whole no, there's you, a place in France. It. It's like snake charmer music, right. and then the soap bottle, magical CGI soap comes out and floats away. Yeah. What is going on? I haven't um, watched the video in a long time. I'm yeah. gonna you to because, fucking you know you guys got to revisit it. Okay, without going too long, I just love that it opens with that bass lick. Then then it's then it steps down into the key that the verse is in. Uh, it's a top tier banger for me. I love the dramatic key change of the bridge, how it steps up a bit, and it. I thought forever it was a horn section. I think it's John Bryan playing horn the horn recordings on the Chamberlain. And I love one of my favorite things is that they just let the outro of this pop song just vibe out for a solid two minutes or whatever. And there's Chamberlain's going wild and everything. And by the end, you're like, Oh, there was an acoustic guitar underneath there this whole time. That's kind of cool. I just really like that. uh, Certain tracks on this just really let you vibe out for a long time at the end. Uh, That's all. I'll keep it short. I, like I said, this was probably my first exposure 
I was 13. Uh, I Like I said, I didn't really know how to feel about it uh, at the time. Um, I can appreciate it much more now, I think, compared to like the surface level attraction of, you know, sc- a scantily clad video. But, you know, it, it goes back to that Deftones change in the House of Flies video. Same kind of deal. Bunch of half naked strung out models at some California house party. Bru- <laughs> bruises and all. And uh, I think it's called Heroin Chic. Uh, it's a that's it, one of the things. It's yeah. a great song, and it has some clever lyrics. It's it's very memorable, and I can definitely appreciate that it was one of those like kind of banged out at the last minute and thrown out. You know, it's like oh, here's yeah. your here's your hit. So definitely yep. cool. I I love that uh, that bass and drum groove that Blake mentioned at the very beginning. It's just. It comes back in and immediately harkens back to, to Sleep to Dream to me. Um, this is kind of the closest we get back to Sleep to Dream in some ways. Um, one thing I wanted to point out was the the drumming. And, and me, I mean, this is probably just standard drummer, I don't know, habit uh, or, or practice. But how it goes to, is it called 16th notes? What's it on the hi-hat? He, like on the yeah. chorus, he picks it up to start hitting every note like that that's correct yeah I, it's something about that it just i i like that it kind of like amps it up yeah, I, in a way uh you know um it, it makes you feel differently than on the verse which he lays back a little bit on that um and i think the acoustic guitar that comes in at the end the strumming is is similarly uh on every you know 16th note or whatever uh yeah, so I, I just really like it. There's also some really good kind of buried in the mix, scratchy electric guitar, it sounds like, uh, that adds something. It's on the second chorus, especially. Um, and, and I don't know, I just you can tell why this was a hit. Like, it, it's a great chorus hook, uh, both lyrically and melodically. Um, it's, it's very uh, arresting, you know, this... No pun intended, by the way, but it's very arresting, this, <laughs> this lyric about, you know, uh, what I need's a good defense because I've been a criminal. Like, that's just, yep. I feel like, a classic kind of lyric that you could find in a pop song from any era that would grab people's attention, for sure. Um, also, no fade out, by the way. I'm going to point that out. I, I, I know I you're not it. a fan of that, Blake. Um, I, it just lets it ride, man. It naturally and there's there's been fade outs on a few other tracks so far. This is the I, one of the first ones without one. So, Yeah, I like this. It's, it's hard to judge it. Heard it so many times, but it, it is one I would say is a, a top-tier one for me. Yeah, this song's great. Um, we had mentioned, you know, the the surveillance or the, well, I, maybe we haven't mentioned, um, you know, one of the elements of, of surveillance footage, uh, in, in the, in the video is very fitting to the, to the theme of the song, but also the sound of the song, uh, the, the song sounds like it should for what it's about. Uh, I love the piano playing in this. I, Patrick Warren's doing a great job. Um, he, he does kind of a, kind of a, a low note octave rattle, um, early on that, that's, you know, just really kind of sinister, uh, sounding, you know, it sounds like it could be almost like out of a, out of a cop show. Uh, and, and then in that, in that great extended outro, he's kind of doing atonal, um, banging around, uh, in, in different spots. This one was the one where I initially thought the, um, got the, the cloud nine comparison. I, I, I was, I was hearing, um, when we was fab, uh, in this just uh, kind of with with those those Chamberlain tones 
but uh yeah i again it's it's a great song you know we everybody knows it's great uh i i would hope that everyone knows that it's a great song <laughs> um the 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 yeah. major key blake you mentioned uh when they go to the bridge uh really kind of yeah uh, brightens the, the the whole um the whole section and then when they go when they go back to that outro it, it just yeah it's a an excellent unit of uh of pop entertainment you know and, and could be you know cohesive <laughs> they, you could release it now and and it, and it would sound just as vibrant yeah i uh, i would also throw in really quick that it is kind yeah. of sad to to me at least that it is her like most well known song because mm. it it is kind of like you talked about you know you could argue who's exploiting who but it's yeah. like is the video like how much of the video is part of that success of this of this song versus uh just the song i don't know it's just kind of sad that it, that it's that way because it kind of goes to show like well what is what is going to sell what is really going to be very popular it's going to take you know, someone scantily clad up there, you know, doing something to garner attention. I don't know. That's at least the way I perceive it. And that's kind of a you, you pessimistic bring, outlook. But you bring something yeah. up I had a thought about that we'll have to kind of keep track of or and everybody will probably have a different idea. I was trying to figure out, like, when did people start to see Fiona Apple as this respected songwriter some people say like a genius level like songwriter because you think of like her last album that just came out it was given a perfect rating by pitch writing but i feel like when this album came out like you're saying logan like people talked about the video and they talked about her image and then after the speech people were like oh it's that crazy lady so i'm kind of interested as we go through her discography to keep track of like at what point did the public kind of accept you of her yeah become less of like what a nutty lady, you know, and become like, yeah. oh, she's this genius level, you know, songwriter and, and everything. Yeah. Well, and the- I think a lot of it is that the age thing. I mean, people felt that they could condescend and just be generally shitty because they, they felt like this is a child releasing this music. So let's say whatever we want about this child. And then she kind of grew into her into her own. Uh, it took, you know, decades, but gain respect very slowly there's almost a, a bit of uh like this is kind of a th- there there's an element of radiohead creep how radiohead is you know their their most known song is an early yeah. hit that they don't like anymore and i don't know how how yeah. she f- feels about this song but how you know a, a career can be you know, exemplified just in, in, in one tune, but maybe that's not necessarily the, the image that, that the artist wanted to, wanted to convey. So. Well, and they're both, they're both artists that like in one way you could classify as one hit wonders. Cause like they have this one huge ubiquitous song, but like they also both have a long career that is well-respected that other people, people know lots of things but i imagine if you went to the general public said what's a radiohead song you know or what's a fiona apple song you know they would probably name creep criminal whatever mm-hmm. other songs will start with cr that was a coincidence there mm. x files music plays <laughs> speaking um, of radiohead and pablo honey hey yeah take us home <laughs> there's the next right. song slow like honey thank you logan it is indeed called slow like honey it's my big secret 
Honey was the first song uh, she wrote for title after she was signed, and this was the second single from the album, but this is the only one that didn't have a video, I guess. She speaks of her, okay, this is something from Genius. She speaks of her big secret, so you have to take everything from Genius as, with a grain of salt, as we have gone over many times in the past. She explained it as being in reference to the way other students viewed her during high school, it was her response to the question of what's the big secret? Okay, yeah, I, I got some of this too. Uh, she said, when I was in high school, a lot of guys uh, didn't, uh, this is what she heard the most. What the hell are you thinking? What are you thinking about? God, you're always staring off into space. And no one would come near me because of that. And I think people think that if you're silent, then you're snobby or something, or you're depressed. I was just contemplative. What can I say? I kind of feel that feel, you know? Um, also from Genius, uh, she said the songs about how she would become a singer and all of her classmates would regret being mean to her because she became famous and hence has power over them. Well, I don't know, Genius. Maybe that is true. Maybe it isn't. Um, <laughs> who among us as a, as a teenager didn't daydream about that sort of thing? This to me is an... A, of course, it brings the mood down a little again, especially after criminal. When you, in my, the way my brain works, you title some, you put the word slow in a title, you're gonna maybe make my brain drift a little bit. <laughs> uh, it's an, it's an old fashioned sultry song to my ears. It's the kind of song that you have to lay on top of the piano to sing. Maybe <laughs> we we're talking about that. Some, some of these are kind of the jazzy ones. Uh, but but slow is right. Um, so the, I worry about the momentum of the album a bit. And of course, you know, she did warn us it's called Tidal. The album truly does go up and down a lot. She goes so very low uh, on with the vocals on this one, which is nice. And it's a pretty song. You just I feel you have to be in the right mood for it. It's, it's not in my top tier, though. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I feel like we're kind of back in the jazz lounge, uh, you know, and, and like I said, she's laying across the piano singing. Um, I did want to point something out here. So she said Billie Holiday's an influence, and I feel like you definitely hear that in this track, like you hear that old school yep. jazz vocalist kind of thing. But an influence I hear, and, and to my knowledge, she hasn't mentioned this person as an influence, but... Um, maybe Blake, you, you know, of, uh, where she name checks this person, but I hear a lot of Jeff Buckley in this vocal performance. Um, I've never if, heard that from you, her. But if you listen maybe. to, you know, it sounds like she listened to grace, the album, um, and some of his live stuff. Cause I just, I would have a hard time believing she wasn't aware of him, like, uh, in his vocal style. When did grace come out? 95. Yeah, it was earlier. Oh. Well, it was earlier than that, wasn't it? But but he was definitely, you know, an influential vocalist. I mean, as we just talked about Radiohead, famously, uh, you know, for the bins, they talked about trying to kind of crib some Jeff Buckley vocalization stuff. But I, I just, I kind of hear that. Maybe it's because of a similar influence. Uh, Grace came out in 94. Yeah, um, similar influence that they're both influenced by those kind of old school jazz vocalists, but, uh, that's what I hear here. 
But I have to say, this this one just who takes me out of it. It's it's the longest <laughs> song on the album, ah, and it is it is just uh, slow. And um, it's an album full of long songs. Yeah, well, this this one is the longest, uh, not by much, but it, it is the top. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, Matt. What are your thoughts on "Slow Like Honey"? I kind of liked it. Uh, I I think I I'm I I'm ready for this kind of a song now. I get big Angelo Badalamenti vibes from this one in particular. Um, I had that had that note. Yeah, um, played at the Roadhouse. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, <laughs> she could absolutely uh, uh, pack pack the Roadhouse. <laughs> I also had the word sultry uh, in my notes. Uh, the song's <laughs> called "Slow Like Honey." It sounds like hot honey. Um, you know. <laughs> dripping down something uh she wouldn't be laying on the piano though i i, I bet she uh um she would be bang uh, banging this one out um this is another one where the ending kind of falls apart and i love just the the vibes probably the best the vibe sound on the whole record is when they ring out at the end of this uh this track i did i'm not sure quite what chord it is but um i i think this this works where it is and 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 as a track, uh, pr- probably more more so than than Sullen Girl for me. Oh, I'm I'm glad to hear that, Matt, because I was starting to think I'm like, oh, here we go back into <laughs> some old tropes here, where I'm gonna be like, oh, I love this one, <laughs> um, which I do. Um, I think this is a top tier track here. Uh, the it, it's those noir noir vibes that I'm getting. Uh, it, I had that it almost is a low key Bond song. It sounds like a. Mm. Uh, it could be in the, in the James Bond universe. Indeed, it's it's heavy with mood, um, but I can totally appreciate that. Like just because it's slow, like honey, uh, doesn't mean that it 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 honey dips in quality. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> it's still a solid. And you're very much right, Matt, on the Badalamenti, uh sound. Those the, is it the vibraphone or the bells? Um, that gives it even a, a darker jazz-like quality to it. And I love the somber approach. Like I love how much you could tell that this girl thinks about things, and you know has a just more depth to her than a lot of lyricists at the time. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying more so than others, but I just I appreciate it. And it's a great first side to the album, I think. The first five songs, I think, are just really, really great tracks. Nice. No, I'm glad you feel that way. Uh, my worst fear was that there would be certain tracks that just everyone hated. So it's good to see it get love. Um, speaking of honey and things that taste, I don't know. The next track is called <laughs> The First Taste. Give me the single number four from this album um it came with a music video that is very 90s uh you should check it out it's really her walking through a party there's a lot of people dancing uh she also lays around a bedroom once again in the in the beginning of that video different party Uh, though than criminal for sure well criminal is like a party of of dead models maybe (laughs) i don't know this is actually people moving um 
interestingly, the most one of the most interesting things on this track to me is that Sarah Lee, who was was in Gang of Four for a time, plays the bass. Um, this I didn't know, but Josh hit me too. She's in the Love Shack video yeah. playing with the B-52s. Ah. That's wild. She plays a couple tracks on this. Drum programming by someone named George Black. I was trying to figure out what might have been programmed. I guess there's a lot of different elements of, of percussion here. Maybe there might be like a four on the floor programmed kick drum. Just some, I don't know, in quotes, like Latin percussion elements going on. I, I, I like the line that it starts with i lie in an early bed thinking late thoughts things like that stick out to me it's uh it's interesting how it starts with that really slow crooning and it's kind of like a false intro that leads into something more upbeat that i don't is it what what do you call this is it salsa or something uh you guys might be able to tell me what you call this style i do love at the end when the chamberlain goes nuts uh, the the instrumental break toward the end. It's act, it's actually uh, Patrick Warren playing the Chamberlain that time. It's a totally different style from Brian. He's kind of like shredding on the Chamberlain. It's really interesting to hear. And then followed by Brian's uh, guitar solo that sounds really cool. This one's just a different feel that's kind of fun. But she I don't think Fiona Apple ever kind of goes back to this feel of a song in her career that I know of. This may be the most 1996 feeling song on the whole thing. The rest of it has more of a timeless quality, I think. This is more of its time. Oh, another great line. Full is not heavy as empty. And I almost missed that line until I was going through the, through the lyric booklet. But uh, yeah, what do you guys think? I really like this track. Um, the uh, Caribbean vibes, both vibe in the sense of that's what we're vibing on and the, uh, the, the trills on the vibraphone, um, you know, really work. I, I don't have a lot of notes down, um, but you must make the endeavor is, is a great, uh, great chorus line. I noticed probably this more than anyone. They, they really close mic, uh, her, her voice and, and you hear just all of the little articulations, uh, on it, but uh, I think it's fun. I, I think uh, I, I'm I'm disappointed to hear that that she doesn't, you know, return to this uh, this gear because I I think it it it's suitable um, to kind of you know her overall not bag of tricks necessarily, but uh, you know di different um, uh, styles and 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 ways that that she can work. But uh, I really like it. I I, I think it uh, I think it works well. Uh, Matt, I I also am disappointed to hear that she doesn't go more in this this game yeah. because uh, I love it. Uh, okay. Right off the bat, though, like I was kind of indifferent to it, like the very beginning of the song and the too. daddy long, the daddy long legs <laughs> lyric was kind of cringe because you know kind of weird. Daddy has been commandeered by kink, <laughs> um, but as soon as the song kicks in. I was yeah. immediately surprised, like my ears perked up, and I was surprised at the direction, the feel, and the sound. It almost, like you guys said, it has this island kind of feel, or more of a world music undertone, like mm -hmm. Welcome to Fiona's Jazz Island Odyssey. I'm, but right. I, I really loved it. I I really uh, like the percussion. Again, the the bells or the vibes, or um, they're great. But I'm a I'm definitely a big fan of this track. 
I honestly have no idea how I feel about this one. I've I've like been in the middle. <laughs> I've gone back and forth. So like uh, a couple like the first time I heard it, I think I was like, "What the hell is happening?" Like it's just such a different sound for this album. But then there's also been times where I found myself going back to it, like when I listened to this, um, and I was kind of skipping around a little bit. Like this was one I did let kind of play out a few times, and I'm like, I I don't know, I. I like some things. About Are there it. ones that you wouldn't let play out? No, I let them. I listened to it all the way through, but I'm saying like when I went back, if I were to think like, what am I going to go back to and just pick specific songs to listen to? This actually is one that I would probably pick. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, but this at the is, same time, I highlighted I, this one pretty I just don't on. know. Like there's parts of it that I'm like, I just don't know what's happening here. <laughs> well, what like do you, it. what do you mean? Like what, what does it, it, it work just for sounds, you? it just, it's so different than the rest of the album. If you know her career, it, it is an exciting song, but yeah, it's a little weird for her. And, but, and, it, and it also gives me major like uh Sade vibes, uh, which I think I brought up Sade on the, yeah, like episode. every, ep- I think you brought it up <laughs> I every bring episode. Up Sade a lot. I, I feel <laughs> hey, like I get Sade vibes here. Um, it, seriously, it does sound like a Sade song, um, but that's not a bad thing necessarily. But just not no, my no, no. my thing. Um, but I honestly, I don't know. I, I literally have written down sits somewhere in the middle for me. Not a skip it, but also not one of my favorites. So uh, I did like. I want to say I did like the guitar part at the end. There's kind of a cool guitar part yeah. that comes in at the very end. Um, and I also really liked that everything Blake here, I mentioned this line, but when everything drops out and you get that full mm-hmm. is not heavy as empty part with that kind of cool harmony, it's a, uh, yeah, very, very interesting, uh, little, little part there. And yeah, check out the video. It's, it's a trip. <laughs> it, it really is. <laughs> um, I do want to point out my, my CD that I found for my teen years, uh, on the front of it. Well, there's a CD warehouse sticker on the back. There's a CD warehouse, seven ninety nine sticker. And there's also, so uh, the hype sticker on the front of the jewel case, there's six singles on this thing. The hype sticker says featuring Shadow Boxer, Criminal, and The First Taste. <laughs> Not sleep to it's dream, Interesting, though. Yeah, interesting what they choose to hype and what they don't. Track seven, Never Is a Promise. You Never is a Promise is the only song from that aforementioned three-song demo tape that made it onto this album. Um, it was the sixth and final overall single on the album, but the first promo single. Written when she was 16. Uh, I, I've heard conflicting accounts that maybe it was written in her journal at age 15. So, uh, you know, maybe one of the earliest written songs here. Uh, interestingly, string arrangements on this track by Van Dyke Parks, um, famous Mike Love nemesis Van Dyke Parks. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't did he and Mike Love not get Fuck along? Oh Love. no, they did not at all. <laughs> There's the famous we, uh, breakdown of the smile sessions came oh because Mike Love was like asking, demanding to know what a lyric meant that Van Dyke Parks had written. <laughs> and he made them call him and bring him down to the studio to invent, like interrogate oh him about a lyric. 
Was it on Vegetables? No, I can't think of what song it was on. Logan, you know what oh, song it I, was? I used Surf's to know. No I, no, I know what it is. It's, uh, I'll have to think. I, I don't know it right now, though. It's, the, li- the lyric is over and over. The crow oh, flies yeah. uncovered the cornfield. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Michael was like, what the fuck does this mean? <laughs> like, he was like, this makes no <laughs> he, sense. <laughs> he needed to lay off the cocaine. Um, <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. the And those Van Dyke Park strings, obviously, they contribute to a... a the track's very heavy and dramatic vibe. This is the only track I think without John Bryan. Uh, <laughs> and it made me wonder, does John Bryan have bad blood with Van Dyke parks? John Bryan's a big you know? Mike love fan. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there was a similar situation where John Bryan was like, what does this fucking string mean? Um, <laughs> so the song I think is just voice piano and these strings. So it's like her most high and brittle, and vulnerable sounding vocals and maybe youngest sounding vocals that she does. It's not characteristic necessarily of uh, the vocals Apple will go on to do throughout her career, but like, you know, it's a time of figuring out uh, what her vocal style is. Uh, Usually we're used to her like really letting you have it with those vocals and growling it out on later albums. Um, Not so much that this vulnerable and brittle and high stuff, uh, I, I like that it ends, uh, one of the most interesting things to me is at the end there, there's like an unresolved minor chord that, that comes up and then, uh, it swells up and then you hear a much quieter resolved chord on those strings. Um, there is a video where she's, uh, I don't know, on a crane or something floating around a city. And then at the end she her feet are back on the ground and she walks into a room full of Christmas lights. The video is a single shot directed by the sleep to dream person, but it's a lot more interesting than that video. Maybe I don't, is it maybe the cheesiest song? I don't know. Uh, I'm interested in what you guys think about that. Uh, like I said, it sounds, sounds younger. Uh, there's a lot of prettiness to it though. Um, the gist of of the meaning of the song to me is like how how dare you hurt me you awful person uh and i can definitely see that in in a teenage diary um as someone who who's been there i guess um again she, you know she she really can sing obviously there there are harmonies in this and it seems like that doesn't happen a whole lot with her uh so it stands out when she does harmonize with herself um it's just an epic sounding, dramatic sounding song uh, that is kind of a, a mid tier song for me, though. Um, I don't, I don't think it's mid tier. I think, I, I think it's it's higher up there, at least for me. I think it's a great piano arrangement part, and I love the strings. I love the intro. Um, and at first, honestly, I felt a bit of resistance to this one, um, but it really started to grow on me. I think it showcases more range vocally yeah she might sound younger but it's still just something that i haven't really heard yet on the album i feel like so automatically that that kind of makes it more interesting to me uh i think that the right like the writing is very strong for having written that at at 16 like i think her emotional maturity is staggering and I think it's way more mature than what I would assume or expect of a yeah. sixteen-year-old diary. Like I, I don't think it just boiled. I see what you're saying. You know, 
like how dare you hurt me um yeah um but i think she says it in such a eloquent and interesting kind of a, a way that really pulls at the heartstrings a bit um i love the line my fever burns me deeper than i've ever shown to you uh that really resonated uh-huh. with me and i i thought it was a solid yeah. solid track I'm glad to hear you say that, Logan, because I was about to say, so So I adore this song. Okay. <laughs> like, it is probably my favorite song on this album. Oh, I wow. uh, I came to this one later. Like, I've, I'd heard this one before this, this listen through, um, but this was one that I kind of, I don't, know if, I don't know how I heard it, but I heard it somehow a few on years. On the demo tape? A few, yeah, I got that demo tape. No, a few years back I heard it, and... I there was a time when I listened to this song like every single day, which makes me sound oh. like a very like teenage <laughs> yeah. like I'm crying in my diary. But there Josh was something the about there was something about that cho- <laughs> the chord progression and the melody to it that I was just like obsessed with at one point. Like I I really love this song. Um, I'm glad to hear and, you say that. <laughs> I th- yeah, I don't know what it was, but there's something about just the way it's sung. Uh, lyrically, Blake, I, I think there's a couple interesting things to point out. Um, you're right. The harmony is awesome when she comes in on that I see in different lights and greater heights part. But there's this weird thing where there's only there's a pre-chorus which she loves the pre-chorus on this album. We haven't really mentioned that yeah, yet, but yeah. lots of pre-choruses, lots of br- bridges on this album. But on this song yeah. in particular, there's only a pre-chorus on the first and uh, last time. There's not one on the second chorus, which is interesting. And the lyrics huh. also change subtly throughout. So the first go around, it's, I understand what I am still too proud to mention to you, which that little to you is kind of added in as well, which is interesting. Um, yeah. it ends the phrase and then she throws in the two, but then at the very end, it changes to, I realize what I am now too smart to mention to you. And then similarly, it goes from, you'll say you understand, but you don't understand to, you'll say you'll understand. You'll never understand. So I, I don't know. I think it's a little s- s- smarter lyrically than maybe it lets on. Um, not that it's like necessarily these very profound lyrics, but um, it, it does have some cool little tricks. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Now Matt's going to come in and be like, this song sucks. <laughs> He's going to be the outlier that hates it. But I, I, I really do. Uh, this, is, this is probably my favorite. So Matt, what are your thoughts? As, as much as, as folks might want to root for chaos, um, they can be wrong <laughs> because this song is amazing. Um, okay. You mentioned well, fuck those, me. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you, Blake. <laughs> You've mentioned the um, you know the, the lyrical elements, the chain, the subtle changes. That's great. The um, holding on to the two and the two you is the start of the next phrase is you know works so well. The, uh, this is probably the most title um, or or one of you know the the theme of the tides is is very present here it's it's very uh there's no percussion so there's um there's not a a set beat and you're just kind of left to to uh shift back and forth un, under the currents of the songs the piano is very kind of flowing um in, in its melody i like how the chorus goes to the major um, you know, because it's mm-hmm. it's very it's a very somber song in in the verse and 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 the pre-choruses, uh, you know, lot lots of minors. 
Um, but then they walk down uh, chromatically as they're going in, you know, as they're doing the, um, I understand why I'm much too proud to mention, you walk that down kind of, you know, still chromatically, still minor, and then you hit the chorus where you've got that, uh, you, you say brittle, I I, I, th- I think more kind of airy or wispy, but just very delicate and 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 fitting to the vibe of the song. Um, and, and that's a very, you know, s- more standard chord progression that kind of sets it sets it apart from the rest of the song. But it, it's familiar enough and, and it's and it's, you know, sang so well and, and, and so well arranged that it that it really works. Um, yeah, I, I just I just don't have enough uh, good things to say about about this one. Look, I just I just didn't. <laughs> I didn't say the song slash because I thought you can't take I, I thought back. you guys might think I was a wuss. Listen, once an episode, someone has to be the one that everybody's Look. like, "You're wrong." You know? I just just gotta I be honest all the time. Be honest. I thought it'd make me sound like a wuss. There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of beauty in this song. I'm just being a jaded asshole, and I'm sorry. <laughs> you um, simp. So. As Josh would say, <laughs> <laughs> Josh using out the word simping. wrong again. Simping. Blake, Blake, really out here simping. S M H. So I guess that I'm going to have to get my myself out of here. Uh, the child is gone. I don't know. The next track is called "The Child <laughs> Is Gone." Uh, yeah. I didn't take it. Thank I did you. not take it. I have nothing That's to do one with of it. My better. Better sex, the child is gone. A vacancy that just did not belong. The child is gone. I think one of the best things about this is that mournful pedal steel again by Greg Lies. Um, this time, so John Bryan plays the harp on those little ding dings, those little plucks. This time, he, John Bryan gets to play the optigan or optical organ. Um, I call it Shadow Boxer's younger sister because it's got that kind of signature six eight swing there. I'm not totally sure what the song is about. Maybe I didn't pay enough. Well, there was a child, uh, but now it's there was. <laughs> Somebody look. Somebody. <laughs> somebody lost let baby. that child loose in the mall. <laughs> what if it was literally about a lost child in the <laughs> mall? I'm I'm interested in hearing interpretations, but the lyrics do contain the word or o apostrophe er, and as wild and wacky as that is, and as <laughs> it's you never la- hear that the laziest pron- pronunciation of over. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you don't generally hear that in the 20th or 21st century, but somehow she needed a single syllable rather than two syllables. Somehow she pulls it off. She's good with lyrics. I don't know. What do you folks think about it? As far as interpretation goes, I feel like this is one that probably led to her giving that frustrated response about everybody trying to interpret her songs and lyrics through the lens of her yeah. tra- trauma because i feel like mm-hmm. Solon girl like we talked about you know she's had a specific interview where she says yeah that song mentions you know alludes to my assault um whereas this one i feel like is one where you go like oh the child is gone you could dig in and be like i think it's about 
you know, this or that in her life. And I could see where she might be annoyed at that because maybe it is literally just about a child that went missing in the mall. Yeah. I don't think that's what it's about, but um, I, I, I don't know what it's about, Blake. Uh, no, I, I, that's all right. But I could see where people would probably prod her in interviews about like, is the child you? And are you talking about loss of innocence? Are that you kind of thing? the child? Um, this is kind of, uh, yeah, you're right. This fits in firmly in the Solon girl, uh, slow, like honey kind of, uh, wheelhouse of almost like a, you know, piano drums, bass, very, you know, limited instrumentation with, with like the octagon or what is it? It's not an octagon. What is it called? Uh, the octagon. <laughs> oct- that's three octagon. seasons of the octagon. Forget about it. Octagon. It's the optical Optigan, organ. Like giving the texture. I think there's some cool rhyming devices in this one. How she rhymes person, inversion, and coercion. Thought that was kind of yeah. cool. Um, nice, like nice words to rhyme. rhyme. Also, lyrically, though, this one is pretty dark, and the vibe of it isn't, I don't know, the vibe of it feels very laid back and jazzy, but not necessarily depressing, and it's interesting for lyrics that seem as dark as these are. Um, but Summer Josh one, don't like dark. <laughs> I don't. I want it to be all bright. I need to soak up the sun. He loves solar power by the <laughs> Lord. He's outside. <laughs> uh, I just want to soak up the sun, guys. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what a Fiona Apple summer jam would be now. Please, uh, Fiona Apple, please never do a summer jam. Maybe we'll maybe we'll get there on a future album. I don't know. I've got. To, I can't think of it in my head. Anyway, point is this one uh, not not at the top for me. Um, I put it probably similar to where I put Soul and Girl or Slow Like Honey, just sort of the Mm -hmm. mid-tier jazz songs. But that's my feelings, Matt. Yeah, I'm probably right there with you. Um, I had in my notes notes, lo-fi drums, and and I'm not really sure what I meant by that. But uh, Oh, the intro, it is just kind of like a... Okay. Kind of, you know, kicking off the the, the 6-8 that we've talked about. Um, Right. I, I did like the mandolins. Um, and, and it's, it is very much jazz standardy. I, I feel that it, it's got the, the minor verse and then they kind of do a major key verse, which is an interesting, uh, uh, interesting thing to, to kind of throw in that when they, they go back to the darling, give me yeah. your absence tonight. It's a different structure for sure. Ran my hand or a strange inversion. Um, I kind of wonder if she's talking about an inversion of a, of a, uh, uh, of a piano chord because there, there's different inversions to different chords. I I, I just thought that that was a lyric that mm. stuck with me, but uh, I, I don't really have a lot of notes on this. You know, like I said, yeah, it's, it's kind of in that other half of the album where, you know, it's half a dozen, you know, really good and, and well-produced kind of jazzy loungy type songs. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to take a stab at what this song means for you, Blake. I'm a, okay. I'm never a fan of necessarily guessing someone's intent for a song, um, but I enjoy the idea of speculation of what it could mean. I like the ambiguousness of it, if, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this is just a when you the realization that you're no longer a child that 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 transition from child to adult when you no longer almost recognize yourself and i i think this is a paramount feeling for almost everyone at some point or something that someone's felt 
Uh, I feel like the that the message and the lyrics here are much stronger than the song. Um, because uh, again, like you guys are kind of saying, we are kind of getting uh, starting to get uh, some of what we've already heard. Um, I think that the music is consistent and solid and well performed. Uh, definitely a similar vibe to some of the others that we've already heard. I'm gonna say fine Ona Apple. Hey, uh, I was waiting uh, for the patented Logan. Oh mediocre uh <laughs> label we're going so i'm I, going with fine ona fine ona yeah. okay and i already know what the bad ones are going to be called <laughs> they're going to be called fiona crapple <laughs> uh luckily hasn't come up but but this one gets brownie <laughs> yeah. brownie points i think for the relatable message or at least that's what i got from it um yeah. i think that's good I don't think it's necessarily about a missing child or it, but it could it very well could be, but <laughs> maybe I, it's a murder ballad. Yeah. We, yeah. we don't know. And I, I like that about it. So, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's cool, but it's, it's fine. Fine. It's fine. 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 Okay. So with that, we are in June now, but soon we will be in pale September. It opens with those, like, I called them, like, spooky brooding chords. Then it kind of throws you for a loop and takes you into a, a softer, sweeter chorus and then throws you back into the spooky chords. I, I love that. Playing with the mood there. The bass on Pale September, again, is is uh, Sarah Lee. Um, this is the only track that has Fiona's sister, Amber Maggart, doing backup harmonies. Oh, okay. Um, That's cool. She's a singer in her own right by the stage name of Maud Maggart. Um, you can hear her in just the final chorus. So I, I, I always thought it was Fiona Apple doing a double, um, but it's that, it's that blood harmony. It's that, it's that Heim going on. It's that, uh, that blood you know, harmony, f- that blood. Har- Didn't I we like talk it. about the concept yeah. of blood harmony yeah. and Heim? And it's, uh, I'm pretty uh, sure if I tried to sing with my brother, it would sound like shit, <laughs> buddy. You don't, don't, don't knock we'll it till you proof. try it. We'll, we'll have to have proof. There really is something to the, the, your DNA is so close that it almost sounds like a double. Anyway, I just like it. Um, so yeah, the, the spooky brooding mood is interesting. Um, I also don't know. This one's open to interpretation again, of course, but that's fine with me. Lots more water imagery. Things are are floating around. Um, This may be the album's gentlest song, the most gentle and smooth song on here. It's, um, but it's not, not one of the the top tier songs for me, but, um, but I have nothing. For delicate folks. (laughs) It's a very delicate song. Uh, I've, I don't want to be careless with a delicate song and be labeled a criminal. So I, I don't have anything Ooh. bad to say about it though. I, I think this is a, a, f- a fine own, uh, fine Ona Apple, uh, song. Um, the, the vibes are out front again. Um, we, I think we definitely hear the tack piano, um, the, the most here, the, you mentioned the gentleness, uh, just in that, in that clip. And I, and I hadn't uh, thought of this until I heard the clip again, 
I, I think this is the closest to like a Sarah McLaughlin song. You know, it, it's <laughs> kind of more just straight adult contemporary. Uh, but but it's it's still got some spooky some spookiness to it, uh, which which works in its favor. Um, don't really have a lot of notes. Um, you know, it, it's kind of not stuck down here at the at the end of the record. I I feel like this isn't you know the the last of the kind of not interchangeable. But you know, if you move the sequence around, you, you're probably not going to notice too much because it's another kind of jazzy sultry um mood piece you're right matt uh it's a finona apple track um it's i i do want to give uh thanks to the chorus harmonies because my notes were that the chorus harmonies are pretty fire uh oh. it definitely is a sleepy track it's for those that are ready to get very introspective um it's a beautiful ballad um not my favorite kind of jam per se uh, not my favorite type of apple jam Uh, but here's the interesting thing about this song that i think needs to get a little bit more credit and boost gives it some brownie points is i love that the you the use of seasons um Mm. in each verse it goes through Uh. each season you've got um you know you all know the seasons i don't have to tell you uh, no, what are they? Uh, well, uh, uh, there's a summer, and then uh, summer, and uh, more fall summer. Or autumn. Smart. And then sometime fall. No, but uh, it, it also it kind of it goes through each season lyrically, and it shows kind of this passage of time, and I feel like this aspect gives the song some some life. Uh, I would have liked to have maybe seen some more experimentation with that idea where the music kind of changes up a little bit more dramatically with each season uh, to kind of match. Um, but lyrically, go back and, and give that a second glance and, and you'll kind of see the progression of the seasons and uh, passage of time. And I thought that was a kind of a cool concept that gave it some bonus points. But yeah, Finona overall. Logan, I actually uh, noted that, and and I slapped it on one of my old seasonal mixes I I have. Uh, although it was hard wow. to figure out where does but it what go. What season? I know. I ultimately Summer? went with fall, mainly because of the September uh, uh, title and also the kind of spooky elements. You know, Halloween. So I'm like, oh, I'll put. Isn't it. September summer? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. I put it on the fall mix. Okay. Um, I actually thought Logan, you were gonna say brownie points for something else. I got that intro part reminded me of a Cure song. What Cure song Ooh. do you think it reminded oh. me of? I would have to I hear think... it right now. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's that dun, dun, do, dun, dun, do, dun. do, 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 um, do. It reminded me of If Only Tonight We Could Sleep. Oh, okay. What, you know what, what I'm talking about? From ki- kiss, kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Kiss me. Kiss me. Oh, it, it, that that yeah. intro to If Only Tonight We Could Sleep. Like, yeah. I kind of got a similar vibe there. Um, and that actually really like grabbed my ear when I first heard this. Uh, this was one I was not familiar with at all. Um, you're right, guys, though, that like after you get past that intro thing and that little hook, it does kind of fall into the Finona uh, category. And uh, it also feels a little too long again. Uh, we approach six minutes again. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I liked it. And, uh, I actually put it on my, uh, liked list of this album, um, for sure. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was fine. Oh, <laughs> oh, hey, uh, 
Oh. Is it this part? No, wait. There's a part that comes in right here. Oh. The guitar? That part right there, yeah. I gotcha. Also, uh, highly recommend uh, Deftones covering that song yes. in front of The Cure. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Is that uh, on the Deftones the covers Cure? album? Uh, I don't know. I probably. I feel like I, I heard so. that, or version. at least the B sides album. Okay, that one. Yeah, I feel like I heard that version before I ever heard the Cure oh, version. Actually, it's good, and and watching them perform it for the Cure, it's pretty epic. Chino sounds amazing, and it's awesome. Yeah, nice. One last thought. She says uh, in the chorus, "All my armor falling down in a pile at my feet." I mm. mean, it, it without without saying fall or autumn. The word fall is in there, and it evokes fall in an undeniable way. So it's okay uh, in my clever. fall mix. That's some pretty clever. Dark right. Souls shit it. right there. <laughs> I'll allow <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. The final track. We've been uh, we've been uh, taking our time here, so let's let's keep calm and carry on. <laughs> no, it works. Okay, carry on. Okay, so the usual suspects on the instruments here. Um, I I really this is a really interesting uh, one to me. Uh, I really like this one. I like that there's a tempo change between the verse and the chorus, and it slows down and moves to a swing. Um, it it picks up the pace after uh, a couple of of slower, uh, drearier songs. Um, and it's got another thing that I love on this album, a long outro that lets it really vibe out on the instrumental. I uh, love that cool and light and quick opening rhythm that it, it, it's a like a guitar-based song, which is, I think, the first of its kind on the album, the only one of its kind. Uh, she starts very light and soft on the verse vocals, but by the end of the song, I like that she's she's really belting. It mentions divination, which I, that's related to water, right? Maybe, and I like it's a good choice to me to to close with this one because it could have easily closed with with a slower, draggier one, you know. But it it did a more upbeat jam, and I, I like that choice to end on. Uh, very interesting to use a rotting carcass as the central metaphor for the song. The song is called "Carry On," as in like dead animal uh, corpse, and not like not like keep calm and carry on. Then John Bryan does a really cool guitar thing at the end where it's like really high. And I, I recognize it. I'm like, I've heard that probably when he's played on Amy Mann stuff. Yeah. I'd like to know what he's doing if he's using like an octave pedal, but he gets way up there. This like screeching uh, guitar um, when he solos and stuff. And then I think the album ends with sleigh bells, if I'm not mistaken. So who doesn't love that? Christmas. Yeah. So a little Christmas feel. Yeah, love all the stuff on here. Carry On's a great one. I agree. Uh, I am very excited to talk about this track. Um, <laughs> it's so cool. It's so strange and winding. It's a, it's a maze of moods. I feel like, on one hand, Fiona is partly like just so very real and present and honest, and I love that. 
But then there's this other hand to her, uh, this other aspect of disconnect with her, like as if she can't be anchored by much of anything. And I find that very fascinating and endearing. And I I love how the vibe changes up for the middle part of the song. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, I think this track is pretty epic in scope compared to the rest of the songs. And, and uh, I agree with you, Blake, that there's some great guitar work and noodling going on yeah. the track. And that's what really got me excited as well. Uh, it seems to be almost Beatles-esque. Is that fair to say to... Like you beetle heads. Yeah, that John Bryan <laughs> part, again, as Matt referenced earlier, is, is very George Harris. And I figured it out. Jeff Lynn, he's looking down because he was hiding in the ceiling of the studio. <laughs> That's what's happening. <laughs> no, but I, he's I, a peeping Tom. I, yes, Beatles esque, though. Two thumbs up. I think this really encapsulates what I would really want for Fiona Apple. Uh, I love this yeah. exploration. I love this. I agree. Um, I know this is the stereotypical part of the album where Josh checks out, um, but this one actually kind of carries strong all the way to the end. I, I enjoyed Pale September. You know, um, I enjoy this one. I Blake, I actually think while Carry On is the spelled the way as the carcass and all that, I do think there's an, um, definitely an, a strongly implied double meaning, though. Because, I mean, she the lyrics are all about, like, a person carrying on, <laughs> you know, after someone Yeah, but leaves. they're also about, like, my love is rotting. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think so, it's yeah, two, two a double things, meaning. Sure, sure. I think that's kind of the yeah. point is she's using that word kind of like title, you know, title and title. Correct. It has, you know, Decaying, two, two I should meanings. say. Whatever that is in grammar. I don't know what that what that's called. Um there's no there's no word for it. <laughs> um, I do want to mention this has the lowest play count on Spotify on the album. Oh, this is the shame. one that's people a, go to the people least. People fell asleep before. Um, <laughs> that's about typical. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. The last track. Yeah. But uh, I enjoy this one for sure. And I think I, I don't have much to add that anyone else hasn't already said. Oh, the opening line is awesome. The won't do no good to hold no seance. Yeah. It's a great yeah, yeah, opening yeah. line. It how it kind of comes in with that guitar part and then it cuts out and she says that it's a very cool yeah. part we're talking about a relationship that has become a rotting carcass i know like, i know you're not, coming you're not gonna and bring coming it back after to pale life. september I, and the spookiness it's like a one-two halloween punch this here is, at the end this is going on the halloween mix baby <laughs> uh matt what are your thoughts on carrion uh my, my very first note was funky um i i, I really like uh, i I really like it how is, it's, it is, you know, you kind of get two for the price of one uh, because the, you know, the the intro is, you know, very, very restrained and very crisp percussion. And, you know, she's she's very measured in her singing. Um, you know, I it reminded me very much of uh, Ain't No Sunshine, you know, that kind of that Bill Withers uh, mm, sound yeah. where, you know, everything's just very crisp and clean and, and, and defined. And then you bring in, you know, you bring in the Britpop uh and that works really well as well. Uh, I think it's a great way to to end the record. I think it's you know one of the strongest songs um, on the record. It's the best guitar work on the record, I would say. So mm. I, I was, I it's definitely uh, you know worth worth the wait to get to the end of the end of the album and and have this one uh, play out. 
Yeah, I can't imagine skipping the like the last track of an album because that always to me is like something like is worth checking out. You think like a lot of yeah. big, you know people save their best stuff for the last song or really go out with some kind of message or I don't know. It just seems like one thing you wouldn't skip. I came you here made it for through what? the child is gone <laughs> and and pale September. I just but imagine people being like, out. I came here for one thing and one thing only criminal play criminal <laughs> well, again. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people probably do have that in mind. <laughs> All so, right. So that is title. We should move on to our superlatives. All right. So my banger is sleep to dream as far as like, the one that bangs, the one that slaps, sleep to dream for me. It's not necessarily my my favorite, but it's it's the one that I feel like goes of of all of them. I, I agree. Sleep to dream is the banger of the record. Um, I mean, criminals more well known and 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 a certainly a, a banger contender, but uh, but I, I just love that bass. I'm a little surprised. To me, it was. To me, criminal was with a bullet the no-brainer of a banger. It it's just it's criminal or nothing. Yeah, I was kind of on that page. Um, I, as usual, am conflicted. I couldn't choose between criminal or carrion. Okay, so kind of a dual banger then. Yeah, I would. I mean, criminal is it's the first thing that I remember hearing and had the most impact. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll I'll go with criminal. I'll I'll say it. Yeah. Okay. Don't sleep on it. Don't sleep on it. So this one I, I fluctuated a little bit on. I, I had pale September initially because I liked that one, but then when I really thought about it, I I have to go with never is a promise. Uh, just because it's it's my favorite song on the album, and while it was a single and it had a video and everything, I still feel like it's a lesser-known Fiona Apple song that deserves to be better known. Um, so I'm going to go with Never is a Promise. I, I had a very similar thought, Josh, so I'm, I'm going to let you uh, let you hold down that tent pole, and I will say, uh, don't sleep on Carry On. Get get to the uh, get to the end of the record and and. Uh, and uh, you know, just let that Brit pop wash over you. <laughs> uh, I almost said Shadow Boxer, but um, since since it already got it, it's due as a single, and now knowing that so many people did skip Carry On, I'm I'm going to go with Carry On for Don't Sleep on It. I'm gonna go with I think what which was low key one of my favorite tracks on the album, though maybe not a banger. Uh, but it's the first taste. That's that's when I was okay. like, "Hey, all right, yeah. something some, something's going on here." And which one we're gonna skip? Skip it, skip it. All right, skip it. I thought this would be a controversial. Uh, this might be controversial. I'm going. Oh, sl- it might be. I'm going slow like honey. Oh, jeez, son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> that's such a uh, <laughs> really yeah. I, it's do, between that or the child is gone. I, yeah, it's between those two. I'm, I'm, but I'm going slow, like honey. If I'm being yeah. honest, Ch- yeah, child is gone is is my skip. So I I think we're kind of coming from a I I would not skip slow like honey, but uh, but yeah, child child is gone uh, would be my skip. I don't think there are any bad songs, but I did say slow like honey. I think it's a good song, but if I a gun to my head, I'm gonna have to pick it. I'm sorry. The gun is to your head, Blake. Yeah, well, unbelievable. Uh, now I also said I don't think uh, 
any of the other songs need to be skipped. Um, but I'm going Pale September. Mm. Okay. Don't put slow in a title. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that, you, uh, that shouldn't no, automatically nothing discard against it. The song. I know. I know. Nothing against the song. I just had to pick one. Okay. Uh, which? Okay. Cover, cover time. I went with Carry On. I felt like Carry On had the most potential for a cool band work. That would be tough. It would be tough, but I think it's actually not as like, I can't imagine trying to do, I don't know, most of the others. Uh, But Carry On, I feel like has some cool potential. Yeah, it's a whole album full of difficult covers, uh, probably the most difficult, but still the one that I want to do because I I think it would be an interesting exercise to kind of do a whole new arrangement and 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 instrumentation uh i'd cover never is a promise wow you, you know you have that to do a different key but uh um but i yeah. I, I think that that a a cover exists that, that that would 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 do it justice i said shadow boxer just turn it into a nice bar jam reenact the the, the karaoke uh, <laughs> of my memory <laughs> and i think it would be fun I, i've actually I've sung it uh, since in, in karaoke, and it is indeed fun to do. I'm all in for Sleep to Dream. I think that mm. there's some aggression in there that I would be able to feed off of. <laughs> that sure. that was my okay. that was my second yeah. choice, Logan. With yeah, all right, okay. So finally, we're going to give the album our our rating uh, based on the systems of our choosings. Um, Josh, will you do us the honors? Yes. Um, although I did just have a thought before we do this and we can cut this if we want, we need to have some yes. little drop for, for final, like maybe just take the oh, final yeah. countdown and take countdown off and the put fun. thoughts. <laughs> it's a final <laughs> thoughts. Um, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so I went through and tallied it up. I liked seven of the 10 tracks or a 70%. Uh, or a 3.5 out of 5 VMA Moon Men. You know, the statues? Yeah. Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> Are you going to give your thoughts? Oh, my thoughts. Oh, so I, I don't know. Generally, it, it's it titles may be a probably pretty good descriptor of this album. It is kind of up and down all over. Um, I don't feel like there's necessarily a through line. So that, that quote she had about sort of just being a batch of songs fits um but i I actually i i mean i know i said i would skip a few and i only did a seven out of ten that being said those other three are not bad at all uh just if i'm being honest about the ones that i would go back to probably seven of these i would um so i i don't know i just i feel like it's an uneven album i guess um compared to her later stuff especially but definitely you know coming out of somebody who was only 17 when she recorded it it's it's pretty mind-blowing uh to to hear so overall yeah yeah, 3.5 out of 5 is is kind of where i feel it's just sort of uh, a good solid album for sure i I think i'm right there with you josh um i really enjoyed listening to this record i i'm even more excited to to get further into the discography because you know i've heard you know plenty more you know that i've heard more of uh, of her output but but not um on a whole album basis um there are some really really strong tracks on this record there are some tracks that 
they're that are good tracks and i wouldn't call them filler but the um you know that that are are kind of lessened in comparison uh so i'm going to give uh fiona apple title uh three and one half delicate men um so yeah this as i said this album to me doesn't have any any bad songs just songs a few songs that i'm a little less excited about it's um it's an album of great songs with one extremely good single in my opinion and my bias is that i know an album is coming up next that has a handful of extremely good singles um and it's it's an amazing start for a very young person and i know that she has she has so much room to grow. I don't know if that's the right, <laughs> that, that probably sounds wrong. I know that she's going to grow so much throughout her career. I truly believe it's, it's a, a career that gets better each album. Um, so of course that, that biases how I see it. I, with my rating, I give it room to grow. So, um, we didn't coordinate this or anything, but uh, I gave it three and a half laps around the table on roller skates. Hmm. Well, this is playing out. Uh, <laughs> right into Logan's hands. Yes. Uh, no, I enjoyed the album. Uh, it took me a bit to get fully on board with it. Um, I'm really impressed with her lyrics, but she's also a solid performer when it comes to the piano. And was she ever playing anything else on the album? Uh, Optigan. 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 Yeah, that's right. And her voice. Yeah. Uh, I like, I like her. I, she seems very intelligent and clever and very introspective. And I, I respect that. She also has an edge to her that I respect. Um, overall it's a sullen album, but I'm kind of here for shit like that. So I think it adequately showcases her talents and strengths, but I'd like to see her venture into more exploratory, type of music that varies paired with the sullenness could be more interesting to me personally. Uh, I think Carrion really sealed it for me as to what I'd like to hear more of. Uh, while all the songs seem to be pretty strong, a couple of tracks musically sounded a little lackluster to me, but I ended up, I liked <laughs> eight out of the 10. So I once again, give a, the highest score of 80% or four out of five heroin chic models. <laughs> okay. Uh. All right. What's next, Blake? Four great, four great ratings. So next, we move on to. Do you want me to say I'm not? So the album is commonly known as "Win the Pawn," um, Fiona Apple's sophomore album. Uh, I will reveal the full title of the album to you uh, on that episode. So stay tuned for that. Uh, next week, stay tuned for a pregame. Then the following week, it's "Win the Pawn." Thank you for listening to More of That Presents Discographology. We appreciate you supporting our show by subscribing, leaving reviews, sharing on social media, and contributing to our Patreon. We are on Instagram at More of That Presents, Twitter at DiscographPod, and Facebook at More of That Band. We do playlists on YouTube at More of That Presents Discographology. Our original music can be heard on major streaming services and purchased at moreofthat.bandcamp.com. Check out the other great shows on the Ox Podcast Network, like Nailed, a show where my wife and I go through the discography of Nine Inch Nails. If you want to support us monetarily, 
subscribe at patreon.com slash auxaudio. There you can get bonus content, like original songs from our show, as well as all bonus episodes for Aux Network podcasts. Bonus Discographology episodes available now. Also, we now have Discographology t-shirts for sale with a kick-ass design by Philippe Sobrero. To order one, hit us up online at any of the aforementioned places. I want to thank Josh, Logan, and Matt for helping me research. An extra thanks to Josh for helping me write the intro script for this episode. For our research sources, see this episode's show notes. Thanks again, and as always, don't forget to listen to music. Thank you very much. And I'm sorry for all the people that I didn't thank, but man, it's good. Bye. Mm-hmm.